Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Greetings and welcome to Starkville, now part of the Athletic Baseball Show, where you'll find great baseball talk all week long, all season long, and any minute now, all postseason long. I'm Jason Stark. I write about baseball for the Athletic. Guess what? I'm joined one more time by my good friend, writer, broadcaster, professor, distinguished former major leaguer, and the voice of Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN Radio, Doug Glanville. Doug, how are you, my friend? I am doing great. I'm, I'm already feeling the travel awareness perk up as I hit like four cities in four days. <laughs> so I'm just getting ready for the playoffs here, man. Yeah. It's, it's going to be deep. Yeah, good. it'll be good practice for you. Uh, so, Doug, we've somehow reached the final full week of the regular season. I'm not mm -hmm. sure how that happened, but it's a really cool time of the baseball year, and especially this year. So we both have Philadelphia connections. You played mm -hmm. in Philly. I wrote in Philly. I still live in Philly. And the Phillies seem like they're positioned to reach the postseason for the first time in 11 years. So our guests this week are the two awesome play-by-play -play voices of the Phillies, Tom McCarthy and Scott Fransky. Uh, we'll welcome them in just a few minutes to amuse and inform us about the Phillies. But first, we got a couple things we need to get to. Oh, first, yeah. we need to follow up on last week's show because what a show. It was the Starkville trial of the century, Doug, to determine mm. who's the MVP of the American League, Aaron Judge or Shohei Otani. Mm. And I thought it was going great until, thanks to you, mm -hmm. it somehow resulted in a hung jury, <laughs> whereupon uh, I, uh, you decided we should throw this out to the Twitterverse because mm. I think we all agree that's where justice lives. <laughs> <laughs> or, or maybe not. Uh, all right, I'm ready with the shocking results of our Twitter poll. Thousands of people voted. I hope you're ready for this. Aaron Judge, the favorite got exactly 43.3% of the vote, <laughs> which means Shohei Otani is not favorite. <laughs> he did have kind of a late rush that can only be categorized as, well, suspicious. Wound up with 54.8%, and somehow almost 2% thought the MVP was someone else, and boy, are they wrong. But anyway, 
Doug, Otani wins our Twitter poll. Was justice served? Your thoughts? Well, I mean, I, I think because we broke out of protocol and had a judge give a closing statement. I think that was, you know, kind of unique. Uh, so I'm, I'm thinking maybe it was compelling. I, I really wasn't saying that it meant he was most valuable. I just thought it would be cool to explain, like, the awe that Shohei Otani has provided for me. Yeah, I uh, When I became very disillusioned with all the steroids and the PEDs and all that, I was like, I need, you know, you still want to be a little kid out there. You still want to kind of feel like, wow, this is magic. And when they when it's stolen from you, you're kind of like looking for the next thing. And sure enough, Shohei was the guy, you know. So uh, I saw Bob Costas in the booth in New York, and we talked about it for a second. He's like, he's like, okay, if you make a award like most outstanding player or most, you know, he had very clear delineations between value and something else. And he said, yeah, I can create a award for Otani. Uh, but that's how much he is transforming. So for that reason, I appreciate that. I, I do think most likely Judge will win. That's not saying that that's what should happen or it, he defines value. But uh, anyway, I thought it was kind of fun. But yeah, I, the poll did surprise me a little bit. <laughs> some some justice, chief justice. Wait, are you a chief justice? You're a, you're a Supreme Court, Stark, Starkville Supreme Court justice. And that's the most definitive opinion you can yes. give us on yes. this you, you think judge will win you're not sure if it's the right call why do we mm. we just had a trial of the yeah. century mm -hmm. and we got a hung jury now we got twitters just run amok is there some higher social media appeals court we can throw this case into because this this needs a second opinion well, we can you can move from Twitter to Instagram, and maybe that would be you know just move up in the social media world. Facebook, I, I, we can try I, something else. I don't know. We have to think about it. I just hope it. Look, it's all your fault. I hope you're happy with yourself. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let, let's change the subject from Twitter polls to something much more meaningful while we contemplate this Instagram poll thing. <laughs> uh, you were in Yankee Stadium over the weekend, where and you were calling games where. Potentially, this could have been the the most historic moment that you've ever called, right? I, so I, I, I want to talk a little about Aaron Judge, his pursuit of history, and the way it's resonating in American life compared with McGuire and Sosa 24 years ago. But I, I, I do want to start with you because you, you were in the booth. What was it like? to be in Yankee Stadium the last couple of days, aside from how wet you got. Yeah. I mean, you know, it was real wow. I mean, you know, I, I kind of think about as a player, you know, you being in potential moments. and But this was so different from my experience in covering the game. I mean, um, and I think for one, you know, something as simple as silence, right? The Aaron Judge walks up to the plate and it's just like the cheer and then the stop. And, you know, I know Reese McGuire said you could hear the swish of the bat, right? That's how silent it was. And I think that the fact that everybody stopped doing what they were doing, maybe they had their phones out, but it really just became, you know, the, it was like the, the placid nature of a going on a, you know, rowing on a lake or something. You know, you just had, <laughs> it was so calm. And this is New York City, right? This is New York and bombast and excitement. <laughs> so that, that in and of itself was unbelievable. And... You know, and, and I think, you know, part of it was, you know, doing all the pregame interviews, talking to Aaron Boone and talking to 
Alex Gore. And, and Aaron was fascinating in and of itself because, you know, we, we try to understand like Aaron Judge, the player, and how much his focal point is about the team winning. And just the sense of like, you know, it's not like attention he necessarily wants. He just wants to be a great player in a, in a team that's winning. And that's, you know, you saw that he hits his 60th home run and then Stan was, the, you know, the walk-off grand slam and he's fired up. You know, it's like, even though, even if Osh overshadowed him for a second, he's not into that type of competition. And it seems like, you know, Aaron Boone just reinforces that about Judge. So, you know, we, at one point we asked him, well, what, what are you most curious about? Like, what are you, in terms of, you know, Aaron Judge handling the moment? He's like, well, someone who's so focused on the team, you know, how does he handle a moment that really is his, you know, him breaking the record? Like, what is he going to do? How is he going to sort of put frame that in this team sensibility? So I, I just think, like, finding these things out. Uh, at one point I asked, you know, Aaron about what, you know, who does he confide in and, you know, the, the people he looks to, because when you're turned 30 in the game, you're kind of like moved from that young 20 guy to like the veteran, but you're kind of in the middle. And, um, but the fact that he's embracing being the leader, but he mentioned very quickly that Anthony Rizzo is a guy that really helps deflect a lot of the leadership questions. And, you know, in that sense, and you forget that these are all part of what allows Aaron Judge to do what he needs to do, right? To, to not get distracted in certain things that you need buffers, you need people to understand like the bubble and what you're trying to protect uh, outside of just the, the desire to win. And and then just the respect across the board of, you know, I asked, you know, Alex Cora is like, you know, this guy's just been on time. That's what I kept hearing. He's just been on time all year long. Like he doesn't miss the train. Every pitch, it doesn't matter if you're a side armor, lefty, changeup, sinker baller, he's just on time. And I'm trying to understand, like, how can you be that all season? It's so hard to do. And uh, and just the way he's quieted down his swing. And uh, I was in the locker room at one point, the Red Sox, and they were playing, you know, some, you know, package for the Yankees. Not the Red Sox, but just it was on the, the closed circuit. And it was Judge, all 60 of his home runs. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. And the thing that I noticed, and I relayed this to Eduardo Perez, who was doing the, the TV side, I said, Every time I see him with the two-hand inside-out swing, all I see is Derek Jeter. I mean, I know it's a weird comparison, but it's like, that's Derek Jeter. True. And, you know, just the two hands, and the, and I can be behind the ball. And, I mean, it is, it's remarkable. So just imagine a big guy with that kind of power to have a Derek Jeter swing, which you, you can hit the ball out of the glove or you can get the head out and hit it out in front. So all that, just to watch. And then, and lastly, just the research. When, you, when I'm researching from Judge, I'm like, you know, there's guys that you research before a game and you're just like, this guy has like had an impeccable season. There's guys who are like, oh, he struggled against lefties. He, there's like nothing to say. You know, seventh inning on, runners in scoring position versus lefties in the first half, in the second half, you know, against starters, against relievers, in rain. And, you know, it's like every situation he is the best player on the field. Every situation. That's how good his season has been. And so I just, you know, it's a lot of fun because it, it actually aligns with, you know, how great he is 
and the fact that he's on this cusp of the record. Because sometimes you get you can get a home run hitter who's, who's one dimensional, doesn't play defense, but that's not the case of Aaron Judge. He's he's like all around this great player that's also on the cusp of a milestone. And to me, that's what's so fun about it because there's so much to talk about because he chose to be a complete player. It's not the steroid era where guys are like, let me just hit home runs. Like, they don't even bring their defensive glove to the outfield anymore. They stop stealing bases. They stop playing defense. I mean, that's what I watched through the, through the steroid era. They just stopped doing anything else but hit home runs. And he's like, no, I, need, I can win other ways. And that's, to me, what makes Judge such a winning player. All right, I have one more question about you. Uh, I don't know if it occurred to you that if he had hit number 61 or 62, whatever you said would be a part of baseball history and broadcasting history. And I was thinking about how every week on this show, uh, the mayor of Starkville, Tim McMaster, he's connecting us with some incredible moment in the past by playing play-by-play clips of those moments. So did it occur to you at all uh, the fact that if you were on the mic for number 61 or number 62 by Aaron Judge, someday somebody could be playing one of those clips and that could be you? I didn't. It didn't really occur to me because I was wholly going to punt to the play-by-play guy. <laughs> <laughs> it was going to be John Shambi or Dave Jagler. I was like, I mean, I yeah, I would have put my little cherry on top, but I didn't even really think about it. Uh, I would have just tried to describe the awe, that just the feeling. I had no plan. I mean, I joke with Dave Jagler before the you know Saturday's game, and I was like, "All right, Dave, I'm gonna give you some tips on like what you could say." So I told him, <laughs> you know, you know, the verdict is in. Uh, I told him like judge took it to appeals court. You know, I was just going to go through, he, he went around the fourth circuit, you know, and, and because they were so bad, he was like, yeah, you're making my call feel really good, uh, but he wouldn't, he wouldn't reveal to me what he was going to say. So, um, I mean, yeah, it, it's, it's so true because as an eighties child, seventies and eighties, you know, I, you know, which is what was cool about seeing Bob Costas is these, these voices are what frame the moment. And they truly do paint a picture. You know, you always say, you know, paint a picture, you know, whatever, paints a thousand words. I don't know if I'm getting that right. But I always think about how these voices, like a Harry Callis, they really create a picture in their words. It's almost like a thousand pictures. And uh, and that's the, the, the gift in it. And Joe Garagiola, you know, all these guys I watched growing up or listened to particularly, that's what I, you know, aspire to. And I realize that you do have the power to frame a moment. And I thought the moment to me would have just been honest awe. I thought that would have carried the day for whatever I had to say. Yeah, I talked to Milo Hamilton about calling uh, Aaron 715. There's a new home run champion of all time. <laughs> and uh, it was quite a conversation. It was cool. And uh, Milo was so excited about this story. He came running down to the press box the next day and gave me one of his books. <laughs> 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 it was great. Uh, anyway, I, I digress. I, I was on MLB Network the other day, and we were talking about whether Judge has truly restored the meaning of these numbers. You know, 60, 61, 62, whatever number he ends up with. And I personally think he has. And when I say that, I'm not claiming that the country's hanging on every swing the way it did in 1998 with McGuire and Sosa. I know it because I followed McGuire around that year. I saw him hit 17 home runs. It was incredible. And, and not just because we were watching history, but because of 
all the people who kept showing up along the way. <laughs> Bruce Springsteen came. Barbara <laughs> Walters was there. MTV sent a crew. You know, like that's because back then, the home run record was still the biggest record in any sport. And, you know, it, because of the PED era, it, that's no longer true. I know that. Uh, this record doesn't have the same significance in our culture now that it had then. But I, I know a lot of people in my circle uh, who are still stopping whatever they're doing every time he comes to the plate to watch. So that's a long-winded way of asking you one more question. Uh, do, you, do you think that's still true? Is, it still, is this still a big moment again in America? And if it is, what is that telling us? And if it's not, what is it telling yeah. us? I still think it is a big moment. And maybe a part of it is it's, it's New York. Um, there's a legitimacy to Aaron Judge. Um, I think that, you know, the completeness of his game, the fact that he is probably, you know, the most popular jersey sold. I mean, there's something about Judge that has a transcending component to it. It's like Jeter. You know, he just has that relatability on so many levels. And, and he is a team player. It's like, as Aaron Boone, it's like authentic. So you have all that. I think that matters. I think the Yankee record, which happens to be the American League record, uh, has its own uniqueness to it. And the fact that they're one and the same and Judge is on that team. I think that also makes a difference and, and, you know, call it East Coast bias or whatever, but there's Yankees, you know, this is a storied, most champion endowed team of, of all time in baseball. So you know that that has a special meaning and we are looking, I think that's the other thing as fans, when you're looking for something restorative, you, you can find things, you know, there's still so much to celebrate about the game. Just like I mentioned Shohei Otani, you know, I, I wanted, I didn't know how much I wanted something to say, re remind me of my childhood and watching Steve Carlton slider or Mike Schmidt hit a home run off Dwight Gooden or, you know, all the things that are like just awesome and then find it. And when you see it, you, you kind of know it and, and you become hopeful again. So I do think that, yes, the, unfortunately and sadly, and we knew this, the, the toxicity of the steroid era is going to be with baseball for the foreseeable future. And there's, you know, and you have fortunately some reprieves where you can get away and you hope that that's a step in the right direction to get back to something that gave us that magic. And I think Aaron Judge is absolutely, you know, part of that. And, um, and, you know, and all you can do is build on that, right? You, you try to find ways to celebrate the game in, in ways that gets back to authenticity. And, you know, it's hard. And, and, and unfortunately, this is, this is the burden that all that selfishness of the steroid era laid on us. And, and, you know, because once again, it's so evident that it wasn't just about you deciding that I need to break records or I need to, or I'm really insecure about my job. And therefore it, it's, it wasn't, it, it had a bigger impact than you could even imagine because people don't believe what they see. Um, seeing is truly disbelieving. And, uh, and that's the tragedy of it. And I'm just hopeful that after Aaron Judge, there's many more. And whether it's about the record books or not, there can, we can still have something to celebrate. It's like the Giants. I, I've done multiple San Francisco Giants games. And they had a, a, a day where they celebrated Will Clark. They celebrated Hunter Pence. It wasn't like, oh, you got to be a Hall of Famer. Oh, you got to be. You're realizing like there's a lot of value in people that don't necessarily have the full trophy case. And I hope that we kind of get back to that because there is every bit as much about the the fabric of the game as as the megastars who are in the Hall of Fame. There's other kind of ways to uh, create 
uh, something enduring about baseball. And that's what I love about it. Yeah, so true. Um, I'll say this one more time. This is not the same as 1998. It can't be. Those records are tainted and they'll never be what they were because I always felt like what made McGuire's and Sosa's pursuit of 61 special was the way it connected the dots to Babe Ruth, you know, and these records will never connect those dots to Ruth and even Maris again in the way they did then. But I do know this, this is having a far bigger impact on American sports fans than Barry Bonds did when he had 73 in 2001. Don't you agree? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the cat was kind of out of the bag by, by Bonds getting in that year. You started to, the suspicions, the conversations, the, the things that were in motion to kind of, you know, put some teeth in the steroid policy, drug PEDs. You know, there's a lot of things that were, the skepticism was already, you know, growing. But uh, yeah, this is this is different. And uh, I think in a good way. So I'm hopeful and I'm, I'm curious what, what Judge will say, you know, when he when he kind of breaks it, you know, I, I'm pretty confident he will. And it might be in Canada. <laughs> so there's, there's an irony of that. <laughs> Completely another country. But, um, but yeah, I, I still think he's, uh, you know, he's got a lot of magic to him. And, and what a year. What a season he's, he's had. He's got a lot of magic to him. That is the perfect way to say it. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, but Aaron Judge isn't the only storyline we're hanging on in the next week. Uh, you know, we got some races going on and some long postseason droughts on the line. One of those droughts is in Philadelphia. So let's welcome in two of our favorite people to Starkville for what somehow or other is the first time. Uh, our, our previous invitations must have gotten lost in the cyberspace or something. It happens. But yeah, right. Let, let's say hi to the voices of the Phillies. Tom McCarthy and Scott Fransky. Gentlemen, welcome to Starkville. I, I honestly cannot believe it's your first visit. It won't be the last. But it's our first visit, but we li- we're, we're avid listeners, so we kind of feel like we're part of it. <laughs> we, we kind of, yep. yeah, kind of. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we'll have to give you a tour of the Starkville diner yes, sometime. Yes. There's a plaque up there, Philly's plaque. They have, they have uh, good eggs. What, what's the sp- What's the specialty yeah it's a oh the uh, it's french the pie. toast pie. yeah french toast yeah. pie yeah any kind if you of have pie. good pie we're gonna bring sarge oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay sarge stops by there will be pie anyway for if there are any non-philadelphians still listening uh tom is the play-by-play voice of the phillies on nbc sports philadelphia scott is the play-by-play voice of the phillies on radio and they're both so much fun to listen to and uh, just as much fun to run into at a ballpark. So let's set the scene, boys. Uh, just over a week left in this season. The Phillies are a game and a half 
behind the Padres for the second wild card. They have a game and a half lead over the Brewers, plus the tiebreaker for the final wild card. Magic number to clinch their first postseason slot since 2011 is eight, if I'm calculating this right. Yeah. Uh, so you guys are both noted visionaries and psychics. <laughs> so t- tell us what you see happening over the next three series. Uh, Tom, why don't we start with you? Then, Scott, you can jump in. Well, I, I would think that there's some paranoia. Uh, there, there's some concern, but there's also some excitement. Too. It is I mean, Philadelphia. We've kind of been all. in this spot before. Yeah, yeah exactly. but we, we. I mean, Scott, Scott, I, we were talking about this the other day. We've been in this position before over the last couple of years. Kind of, yeah. And it, it hasn't gone all that well. So, but I, I don't know. I think we're both optimistic that it's, um, you know, that we're in a pretty good spot at this point. I mean, it's. It is weird. I mean, Jason, you know how weird it is that we're going on the road for these last this last week and a half. Yeah. Uh, the Brewers are home for the last week and a half, so uh, that's you know that's got a little anxiety part of it. I, yeah. I think, but it's uh, I, I, it's just it's exciting. Like somebody asked me the other day, "Who do you want to play?" I said, "I really don't care. I just want us yeah. to get in." That's the biggest thing. Yeah, I think the recent history, um, the last, I mean, really the last four years. They've had a chance at something, uh, some way to get into October, whether it was the division or whether it was the wild card. And I don't remember exactly the math in 2020. That year was so weird anyways. But I remember they went on the road for the last week. And it felt like they just needed to win a game some, somewhere <laughs> yeah. along the way. And they – yeah, that they, they lost six out of seven. I guess they needed, as it turned out, they needed to win two. But it kept, it was, it was almost this comedy where they would lose every night, and and yet they still had a chance to get in. Right. And right. it got into the weekend. I remember they won on Friday night in Tampa, and we weren't even there. We were doing the games off the TV uh, from Philadelphia, and it was, it was. I remember Saturday and Sunday both. There was still a way to get in, uh, but they couldn't yeah. win either. So I think that, I mean, they're a better team now than they were in those years. But um, but that doesn't mean they're automatic. I mean, they've got to go out this week and do it. So we'll see. All right. So you guys yeah. are kind of dancing all around this. <laughs> How would you gauge the psyche at the fan base in Philadelphia? Uh, I think well, you I, just I, heard I, it. I, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, right. These are like I keep thinking. Yeah, we've we've both been here a long, all been here a long time, and these people are nervous. They're trained to expect disaster, even in the best of times. So, like, where do you think they are now, Scott? You're a man of the people. We'll start with you. Uh, I think they're cautiously optimistic. I think they're very excited about Jalen Hurts. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, Does he play know, shortstop or something? Yeah, he should. He probably could. No, I mean, I, I guess you know. And again, there's still that that sense that, all right, well, if we get in, can we really, you know, are we good enough to advance? And I think there's a certain segment of the population that definitely feels like, hey, look, you can line it up, where it's Wheeler, Nola, you got a shot. You know what I mean? You've got a chance, whoever it is, whether it's Atlanta or St. Louis or whoever it turns out to be. Um, but then there's the other segment that says, you know what? They're okay. They're a little better than average team. And, you know, um, it's not going to amount to much in the, in the long run. They might get in, but it really just buys them a few extra games. 
Tom, what do you think? Yeah, you know, I agree with Scott. This is a totally different vibe, this team, than the previous ones. It really is. I mean, they're fun They're fun to watch. They take the extra base. So that's why I'm more optimistic than past years. But uh, I do think it's a nervous anxiety for the city of Philadelphia. And I can't, I can't blame them. I really can't. I mean, you would think that 07 would have been the tonic <laughs> for that, to take care of it, you know, coming back and beating the Mets. But 64 always looms. 64. Um, <laughs> but, I, but I do think, um, you know, I do think that there's an optimism that we haven't had these last couple of years because this is just a better team. It's just a better team. And I, I got to say, you guys have all, you know, you guys have seen it. You know, Dougie, you were there this weekend. Rob Thompson's got this thing, you know, going right now. I mean, he's how he's not how he, he wasn't a manager before it's like a head scratcher not that i ever thought he i never voiced that he should have but i don't know he's just got a little little mojo going with this club i think yeah well we'll, we'll talk about him um, I, I i want to let J- doug jump in but i as a almost a lifelong philadelphian uh, here's my window into these people 2008 anybody remember that they won the world <laughs> series we all remember that right yeah, yeah. Okay, so I was the guy who wrote the book about the 2008 Phillies, and then I went around and did a, like a thousand book <laughs> signings. And my favorite part of the book signings was talking to these people about what they'd been through and what it meant to them. And I swear this is true. One out of every, like out of every three or four people who was alive in 1964 <laughs> started to tell me about 1964. <laughs> and I would say to them, let it go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> team won. Yeah. Enough. They, like, turn the page. We don't need to think about it or hear about it anymore. No. They're all scarred for life. And now people who weren't even alive, somehow the scars have been handed down. And that's what we're all dealing with. Tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> Hey, we, hey, Wheels used to talk to us about it all the time. Chris Wheeler, one of our partners, he used to talk about it all the time, just how, how it weighed on him. I mean, even to his day, you know, his days of winning the 80 and 93 <laughs> National League pennant and the OA championship. It's still yeah, weighed it, on it, For me, it's it's uh, very strange. I mean, I didn't grow up here, but, um, you know, but I've seen the same thing in the time that I've been here. And it's it's a little bit odd to me that that, that it's still a, an issue. You know, it's still something that people bring up. Uh, for me... Like I bring up the fact that the last four seasons they've gone into September with a chance to make the postseason and they haven't. Yeah. Like for me, it's yeah. more the it's <laughs> it's this recent history and it's it's. I mean, Chico Ruiz doesn't play anymore. Like, you don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to worry about him. Um, you know what I mean? Like uh, I I just think uh, I I will say this that th- this year. You go into the last week, and the math is in your favor. And it wasn't in any of these other four years, getting to the last week. I mean, you had blown it, or you were behind, or whatever, <laughs> by this point. So at least the math is in their favor right now. Well, you know, you also have to remind everybody, they also won in 1980. <laughs> I mean, there's right. another another championship. And, uh, well, you know, look, I think, you know, it's it's a good and bad thing, because playing there and being a lifelong Philly fan growing up, you know, I, I did appreciate that they brought back the history all the time. So you don't feel that far away from 64. I remember watching Dick Allen take batting practice. And, you know, like, that that's a good thing about it. But you also still don't retire the demon sometimes. 
because the cultural fabric stays, you know, through all, all these generations. You always remember. So I do like that about Philly, but it is also, you know, tough mm. to get through. And 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 you mentioned, you know, Rob Thompson. I, you know, I got a chance to talk to him. We did the Friday game. I did the Friday game, Braves and Phillies, and the Phillies were dominant that game. And, uh, you know, I just asked him, like, well, you know, what's the difference between this team, between then and now, like Joe Girardi and this new regime? So I'm curious, from your eye test, what do you think the difference is between, you know, Gir- you know Girardi's regime this first half and then Thompson taking over? Well, um, you know, I think both of us have a great deal of respect for Joe. We love talking to him, love interacting with him. Um, you know, Rob's intense because he likes to win, but he doesn't – nothing changes. You know, he, they could have an awful game, and he's still the same dude, I mean, the whole time. And I think that's the vibe in the dugout. And, I mean, Doug, you know whether that's whether that's cool or not from a player's standpoint, but it does seem like it, it, it seeps into the coaching staff and the players. You know, Brandon Marsh misjudged the uh, double uh, in Sunday's loss to the, the Braves early on. He didn't have his sunglasses on, and, you know, Rob went over to him, and he just went, hey, let's go. Give him a fist bump, turn around and walk <laughs> away. Now, he may have said something privately. Hey, man, get some sunglasses on. But that, you know, I don't know. Um, I've always watched him from a distance thinking that he was this intense human being. I've never got that vibe from talking to him. But now even more that we're exposed to him, um, he's pretty relaxed. I mean, he's got a fire to him because he wants to win. But I think he also understands the room, like to understand the vibe of how to handle it. I don't know. Scott talks to him every day with the the manager show, and you know, it, even sitting in there, you get that same vibe. Yeah, to me, he is uh, he's totally focused on one thing, and and that's that day's game. He really is. He has this. Yeah. Um, I mean, again, I think everybody can kind of feel the way the clubhouse has been more relaxed. Uh, under his leadership, the coach's room has been a little more relaxed, um, you know, time. and and I'm not knocking Joe Girardi at all in that because, I mean, for whatever reason, that that just seems to be the case. Um, but uh, I, Rob is Rob is is managing with a certain freedom. Rob is not managing for this job. He's really not. He doesn't. He's not doing it to get the next job. This is something that he had sort of forgot about. He had passed like his idea, his days of wanting to be a big league manager. He feels like kind of passed him by and he was okay with that. Like he was at peace with that. And then the opportunity falls into his lap and he's just trying to win that day's game and trying to build these relationships with these players and make them as comfortable as they can possibly be. He is not at all. He is just not managing for next year. And I think that's allowed them all to be comfortable and relaxed and play for the day. Yeah. I I think that's a great way of putting it. I really do. I I look at, I look at DeMarlo Hale from the Indians as, as Terry's bench coach. It's kind of the same thing. Like it may have passed him by, but, they have this responsibility to keep everything lifted up to a certain level. Uh, there'll be a small fine for Tom for not guardians. But oh, are we going to wait? Are we going to wait the fee this week? Well, I, don't, I can't remember. Hey, even Frank did, so it's fine. Um, uh, hey, you know, here's... I, I, I'm up and down. I apologize. I do it every day. Here's one of the things that sticks out to me about Rob Thompson is 
he has a way of showing belief in players who who have needed that show of belief, and he can do it without saying a word. Uh, like that little story you just told, Tom. I, like when he hits Bryson Stott leadoff or clean up when somebody has a day off or when he keeps giving opportunities to young players who never made a top 100 prospect mm. list, Matt Veerling and Nick Maton and Bailey Falter and Derek Hall. I, I mean, those things I notice. How, how much do you think that the manager has had to do with the production that the Phillies have gotten from players like that? Well, I mean, obviously he would totally uh, tell you you're full of it. Uh, he, I mean, he would say it's all about the players. And I think any good manager uh, is going to say that. But I think he does take pride in the fact that he tries to communicate when and where somebody is expected to you know, play, be in the lineup, what position, whatever. And I think that – he has done it as best he can a few, you know, like say in the case of a young player, a Matt Beerling. Hey, look, Tuesday, so-and-so's on the mound. You're not playing. We're going to give you a day off that day. So that way, if he has a bad day on Monday, it doesn't look reactionary. And the, the young player who can think everything is a reaction to their most immediate results, right? Their latest results. A young player doesn't have that comfort level that a Bryce Harper who knows he's going to be in the lineup every day. A young player wonders. A young player comes into the clubhouse and goes to the lineup card because they want to know. Um, but he's taken that away. And I, I, I don't think it's so much he's been willing to play young players because I think in a lot of regards, he's had no other choice. Um, that's who they've had. But I think he's made them more comfortable in those moments. And if that means they perform better, then I guess you're on to something. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I see. Now, I, I still think this team's going to go as far as its stars will carry it. And there's no bigger star on the Phillies than Bryce Harper. He's had a tough month. He's had 153, 27 strikeouts, 11 hits. What's your read on Bryce, Tom? Well, I think, uh, you know, just listening to uh, John Cruck and Mike Schmidt talk about him the last couple of days is that he's mechanically off right now. I don't think he's pressing, although I could be wrong. I mean, I can't get into the head of the player, but he's mechanically off. I will tell you that both of them loved the walk Saturday before the opposite field home run because there was better takes and it wasn't just swinging freely. Um, you know, I always say there's certain guys I don't worry about. Um, I don't worry about him. I, just, I do think his timing's off. I do think it'll click eventually, but I think it needs to click. I'm with you. I think the stars have to, you know, it, there's, there's, there's only so many Kurt Bavakwas out there when it comes to the postseason, you know, but they, they need somebody like him and Schwarber and Hoskins and real Muto. I think they need to have them carry this team into the postseason. I, I really do because, you know, the, the younger guys have been great. I mean, Bryson Stott's over his last 15. So there's something even he's a little off right now. But I think for Bryce, it's just his timing just looks to be off mechanically. He's lifting, doing a lot of things that are um, that are showing that show when you're in a slump like that. You, you know, Crux said something the other day that uh, that I've been thinking. Somebody mentioned this to me that uh, a guy who has a he's coming back from a broken thumb, uh, like Sean Casey told me, he had that and he felt it the rest of his career. Yeah, and. 
prices at bats had been what I would say jumpy. And a yep. guy who has had that injury, especially top, top hand thumb, big Tiger Woods swing like Bryce Harper has, uh, <laughs> it's like he's trying not to get jammed. And I, so I don't know if he's still sore. I don't know if it's in his head or whether that just started the mechanical issues. Do you guys think that there's anything to that? Scott, remember a couple weeks ago he had that one at bat where we thought I, I thought he had an oblique thing, but it was a jam shot that it sort of shook his thumb a little bit. You know that that shows me that maybe there's a little of that still there. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think. know. I asked this week uh, directly about that, and there's n- at least there, if there is anything bothering him physically, it's nothing he's informed the club of. Um, so I don't think that there. I really don't think there's anything physically going on. I think it's a timing and it's a mechanics issue. Uh, I think what Tom pointed out about the takes the other day on Saturday, they were so different than the takes on Friday because, and the swings on Friday, he was swinging at pitches, you know, Thursday and Friday that you just don't see him swing at when he's going well. I I happen to believe that Bryce Harper wants so badly to be the man. I think he really, really wants to be the man. And, but I also think the way he can be the man, is by just being one of the guys. Because I think he's way better than everybody else on the field most nights. And if he will just relax and just be one of the guys and just be another guy in the lineup, I think, again, going back to the young players, being free, being relaxed, he's a better player than most. And by being one of the guys, he can be the man. You know, I think about one thing that shadowed the Phillies most of the season and there's questions that started off when Jordy was there about their defense. And it was way before even there were even metrics around it. It was just like, oh, you signed these DHs and now what are you going to do? Now, Bryce Harper was, you know, because of the injury, didn't get a chance to be in the field and all these things. So I'm curious to see what you think of today's version of the team with like Harper had, you know, having to dedicate to, you know, a DH role and, you know, how Thompson... They seem to be using shifting defense or positioning differently. And I'm um, curious to see mm-hmm. what you've seen in recent times. So I'll start with you, Scott. I think that uh, obviously by Harper having to DH, I think it's hurt him. I think it's uh, it's limited their ability to give Schwarber days off. It's, it's limited their ability to give Castellanos days where he's the DH. I mean, Harper's not a bad outfielder, so him to be out there would be an upgrade. Uh, you know, Castellanos uh, and Schwarber both on the corners. I think it's hurt them uh, in, in large part. I mean, Schwarber obviously has uh, 42 home runs and has done a lot offensively, but his overall war is down because of his defense, and that's just the way it is. Right. And they don't have the opportunity to move him out and shift shift guys, you know, make defensive switches late like they would, would otherwise. Um, because again, the Harper, only a DH, it limits the flexibility and how you can build a lineup because there's only one place to put him and that's at DH. And I think it's hurt him. And I think that um, conversely, they have improved up the middle immensely uh, as this year has gone on. I mean, JT, you know, he's been unbelievable behind the plate. I mean, limited pass balls, throwing guys out, uh, unbelievably quick to get the throws off. The trade for Brandon Marsh has made them a better defensive team up the middle because he can handle center field with a plus 
deep, you know, uh, defensive run saved um, number. Stott, to me, even though he's made three errors in the last week, he had two <laughs> errors at second base and shortstop the entire year. He wasn't going to be in that sabermetric thought of winning the gold glove for the utility player. But for us, he was probably the one representative we could have put there. I mean, obviously, he's not going to be better than Guillaume or McNeil or the kid from St. Louis, but he's played really well defensively. Segura is, an uh, if you're going to underrate anybody defensively, you underrate him because he hasn't won a gold glove and he's been impeccable. Bobby uh, Bobby Dickerson has, was, it was put in charge of this defense that was horrific the last couple of years. He's made them better. He just has. Uh, his technique and the way he's talked has made them you know, just they the message has gotten through to make the routine plays and the balls that are at you. And they have limited range in some spots, but I think that they are better defensively than they were at the start of this year. And I give a lot of credit to Paco Figueroa and Bobby Dickerson and this coaching staff, but also the players, too, because, you know, it's hard to move on from somebody like Didi Gregorius, but they did it without a blink and, and honestly haven't missed a beat at shortstop. Here's a big picture question for you guys, and it's basically, how good is this team? You know, I hear everybody talk about, like, how incredible the National League half of the postseason draw is going to be. And mm-hmm. they talk about the Dodgers and the Mets and the Braves and the Cardinals. And the Phillies have don't come up. Now, the Phillies haven't qualified to get in yet. I get that. But do you see uh, – do you see a path for the Phillies to win a round or two or three in the in these playoffs, assuming they get there? Well, I, I, I do because, of, as Scott mentioned, if you have a healthy Wheeler, Nola, and I think Ranger Suarez mm-hmm. is the number three. I don't know if, what Scott thinks about that, but I think Ranger is the number three uh, going into the postseason. I think you can match whoever the one, two, and three is for any of the teams that you're going to face. Now, there may be a, a slight edge, but I think you can get, get them – get deep into the game with those pitchers. Um, I, I think they can, I mean, I, obviously I think that first, that first round is, is the, is the toughest part because you're not, not at home and they haven't, they've been better at home than they have on the road. Um, but I do, I mean, we watch them play the Cardinals. Their Cardinals are a better team now than they were when the Phillies played them, but they can handle the Cardinals. Um, I, I actually think even though the, the Braves won the season series, these games have been competitive. They just haven't been able to finish it. You know, the consistency of the bullpen has been a big thing. If they have that, then I do think that they have an opportunity to move forward. Again, it's a really good clubhouse. They can get hot. And I really think the three starters, if they're healthy, can match up against the other three starters. Yeah, I'd be interested to see how the Nash and the National League playoffs in particular play out because it's yep. such a it's, you know, obviously there's no D, you know, there's no pitchers hitting anymore. And and whereas you might have you know, had to make moves and you're changing out guys. Now you can, I think, ride guys a little bit longer. So the Phillies, if they wanted to, could ride Wheeler deeper into the game, even if they're behind. I mean, there's no need to pinch hit and he can, he can go deeper. Absolutely. And I think that allows you to maybe overcome a flaw or two from your bullpen. Now that said, their bullpen, they have to have Sir Anthony Dominguez, right? Uh, if he's not right and available to go say back to back days and, and things like that. And three out of four, then they they're going to have issues because uh, it, to me he's the guy that it all centers around. They're trying to make it. They're mm-hmm. they're going to build it around him. They're going to try to make guys like you know 
Zach Eflin workout. They might even try to make Noah Syndergaard work out in the bullpen, you know, come playoff time. They, you know, obviously, you know, a Connor Brogdon or a David Robertson and those guys uh, to fill in the holes. But to me, it all revolves around Sir Anthony because he's the best arm they've got. Uh, and, you know, Alvarado, too. Uh, I think uh, I think they're going to – he's a big guy and he's a big piece, and I think they're going to oh. ride him hard. Yeah, I, I think Scott brings up Alvarado. I mean, guys, he if you put him up, you can put him up against anybody reliever since the All-Star <laughs> yeah. break. He's honestly one of the best pitchers in baseball since the All-Star break. The Caleb Cotham, the pitching coach, um, you know, Brian Kaplan, his assistant, and Dave Lundquist, the bullpen coach, all these guys, they got him to understand that that cutter was really good. And ever since he's kind of pitched backwards at – I don't know, the cutter at 95 to 98 and then throw 102. <laughs> it's been really right. unbe- it's been unbelievable right. the transformation. Yeah, that, unbelievable. That, that cutter's changed his career. Hey, oh. I, I want to give you guys a, a chance to just talk tell some stories a little bit from your career and you know you, you guys are you're both following a legend in Harry Callis, uh, I think it's safe to say the most beloved broadcaster in Philly's history. Uh, I know how hard that can be. And yet, I, I hear you both talk about Harry all the time. So I'd love to hear you talk about what your memories are are of Harry, the time that you both spent with him, and what he passed on to both of you about the way to do this job. Uh, you know, it's funny, Jay. When I first was hired, I, I was doing the pre and post in, in right. 2001, and I wasn't doing much play-by-play. But my first game doing play-by-play I called a Scott Rowland home run just inside the foul pole uh, down the left field line at the vet. And as I called it, uh, it was my literally my first game. Harry looked at me and went like he, he gave me this sort of <laughs> nod uh, with his face scrunched up. And, um, you know, Scott and I will both say that the day he passed away is the hardest day I think either one of us have ever had as a broadcaster. And, you know, we had envisioned he would be around for a decade longer. Um, than it, it actually turned out. I mean, he's, I remember him saying to me at one point when I came back from the Mets, he said, you have to be yourself. Like you can't be me or anybody else. He said, because if you do, they're going to hear it. You're not acting. You're just being yourself. And, you know, I, I've taken that to heart. And I, I mean, Scott and I have very different styles than Harry did as a broadcaster. But, um, you know, I think that we we're better people because we are around him. Um, and, and I think the big call, nobody makes it better than Harry made it just because of his voice and his cadence and his, you know, the way he brought the everything energy into it. Um, but I know that, you know, for Scott and I, I mean, we're we're better people for being around. him. we're so fortunate that we're around him. the following thing. I don't know, Sarge. I don't know if Sarge ever said this to you, Scott, but Sarge just said to me, "Hey, somebody had to play center field after Willie Mays, <laughs> but they weren't Willie Mays, you know. Cause don't be Willie Mays, you know. It's just you just kind of do the job. You just try to do the yeah. job as best you can, and you're just thankful that you had him with you uh, for as long as I mean, as long as we had yeah. him with us, you know. And I didn't, uh, as I said before, I didn't grow up in Philadelphia, and my my memories of Harry really revolved around the NFL and hearing his voice on the NFL and NFL films, uh, you know, because uh, that's how I really kind of knew him. And then I remember my first, my first, and and we didn't work together on the air very often. Uh, In fact, uh, I was basically the filler when I started, I was 
Harry took a break for two innings and I would do his two innings. And so he would take his break and I would do those two innings on the radio. Um, so we didn't really ever work together except in spring training. And I remember my first game on the air. We were at Kissimmee uh, playing the Astros. And I, I don't remember what inning it was, but I came on the air to, and I was on with Harry. Harry was doing the play-by-play. And he called a Brian Howard opposite field home run down the left field line in Kissimmee and gave it all the gravitas of a, you know, September home run, (laughs) you know, that ball is out of here and everything. And I sat there and the hairs on the back of my neck stood up and I thought to myself, how in the hell did I end up here? Um, But how cool that I did. And I, the, the, the Harry told me the same things that Tom's talking about, about being yourself and just doing you and, um, and, and let it be what it is. But I, I will say watching Harry wasn't about necessarily watching him do the job and, and, uh, and prepare for a game. It was more watching, uh, the way he interacted with our fans because I was, I was yeah. really so amazed you know, those were when I got my first year with the Phillies was 2006. And then, you know, obviously seven through 11, it was it was a, a pretty amazing time. But those those days in 07 and 08 and uh, when we, we would the Phillies would go on the road and it was just amazing to me. Harry was a rock star. I mean, he was a true rock star. Where you Like you get off the bus and there's fans outside the hotel <laughs> and and they want to see Harry. They want to talk to Harry. Um, yeah. And he was always um, he was always so appreciative and so humbled by it. And and uh, I, I'll my my most lasting memory ever of Harry Cowles is on the float during the parade in two thousand eight, and. The, the the traffic obviously people were all over the place and they couldn't get the parade started and we just sat there on this flatbed truck on market street and it felt like forever and i mean people are hanging from light poles and they're you know sticking their head out of parking garages <laughs> and it's wall to wall just a sea of people and they're chanting for harry and they're they're just chanting and harry's like the tears are in his eyes uh, the the look yeah. of just um, just he's humbled, he's overwhelmed, he just can't believe the outpouring of support he's getting in that moment, and I'll just never forget that. To me, that was um, that it was the most lovely, beautiful picture of Harry I've seen. I remember when the 08 World Championship, I was pinned against the wall of the radio booth while they were videotaping him. And and, and obviously, I'm not a small person. Um, and I'm literally flat like a pancake um, up against what's now Scott's bulletin board. And um, to see him call it and like the little smirk with the focus and then wheels doing the thing we call the wheeler, the dance and everything like that, Chris Wheeler. You know, that was... Uh, that was really cool because he didn't call the 80 world championship because it was national radio. And what you hear him call is pre is taped afterward. Um, you know, that was really, that was really cool. I have to tell one story. So we're, we're in Houston one time, uh, when I was first starting to travel and there's a commercial that comes on for Mrs. Baird's bread. And all of a sudden it's Harry's voice and he's in the back seat while I'm driving. And I hear on the, oh, I hear on the, the radio, Mrs. Baird's bread. <laughs> 
Texas born, Texas bred. <laughs> I look back at I look back and he goes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that is so him. No, I mean Harry, wow. I mean I mean I remember I had an inside the Parker and I just cared about what it sounded like when Harry called it. It was almost like it didn't happen <laughs> unless he called it. I mean, that's how amazing it was to just play under his voice. I mean, he and he was so generous with his time. You know, he even at one point, a fantasy football draft, he would always call the first round for the players. You know, they had these made-up teams, Rico Bronia, and, and he'd actually take, you know, whatever, 30 minutes to announce the first, and with the first pick, you know. So, I mean, he was just amazing. And, and we had, you know, he was grandfathered in to sit in the back of the plane. Sure. And, you know, you know, and it, yeah, and I was like, you know, those guys. And, you know, a lot of other teams are very specific about, like, you know, veterans and all that. And, you know, we actually had a controversy uh, when Larry Bow was managing about um, something that was said and supposedly in private in the back and someone was stretching during the game and they heard on the television the story kind of repeated. So the players were like in mutiny form and they were kind of like, well, you know, you don't want to kick Harry Callis out of the back of the plane. But it became so toxic that Boa stepped in and said, all right, we're going to move these guys out of the back of the plane. And Harry was like in tears. He's like, these players today don't understand the history, the legacy. Uh, so he ended up, they ended up getting reinstated. But it was, it was really tough because the, the whole clubhouse was divided. You know, a lot of the new guys, you know, I think Jose Mesa, you know, they were, they were sort of like, well, this is how we do it in these other teams. But some of the legacy players that had been in the Phillies a while were like, you can't do this to Harry Callis. <laughs> you, you, you just can't. <laughs> and, and Boa, that was, you know, a, a good leadership moment for Larry Boa because he's like, I see you guys cannot come to any conclusion. And literally, we're spending more yeah, time talking about Harry Callis and, and what to do than we are actually like playing the Red Sox. So I'm going to make an executive decision and just make this. And uh, it was tough, but, you know, eventually he came back. So that was the respect <laughs> level of just like he was in the back of the plane, he had a cigar, and he would tell stories. And it was like reliving, you know, for me, the glory years. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, when I was in the middle of the plane, I'd still like go and check with Harry in, in his white shoes. And I don't know what. It, it was just cool. So that tells you the power of, of the voice and what you're framing because even the players are, are listening, you know. Mm -hmm. hey, hey, I, I got a question before I let you guys go. I mean, you've both been in Philadelphia a long time now. Have you ever actually worked a game together in the same movie? <laughs> we, we've mm -hmm. joked about this. We have not. Never? So, never in spring yeah, training? I, never anywhere? No, I, I think we're going to try to do it next spring. I think we're going to try to do it next spring. It would be great. It would be great. It would be yeah. Great. Uh, I was actually thinking about that very, that exact same thing this morning. Uh, that, that yeah, yeah, we've never, we've never been on the air together. I don't think. I mean, other than like the yeah, post game we, show where we screw, you know, screw around on Friday nights. But mm -hmm. uh, other than that, no, we <laughs> we've never done a game together. <laughs> How about that, Doug? It took bringing these guys to Starkville to get them. It would be together. great. It would be great. You know, we, you know, it used to be that we would like, we would split, like radio would go over to TV, TV would go to the radio, but even then we probably, I don't even know if we would be able to do it, but we don't do that anymore. So, you know, right. you know, Scott, Scott has, has stuff he has to deal with. I have stuff I have to deal with. And we just kind of confer about it when we talk all the time. <laughs> all right. Before I let you go now, um, you, you guys have a huge road trip coming up to Chicago, 
Washington, and Houston, all very conveniently located. (laughs) (laughs) And then you've got a postseason series somewhere or other. It could be St. Louis, could be Atlanta, could be New York. Then if the Phillies win, then you got two more games on the road somewhere or other. Like it's either L.A., New York, Atlanta. It's it's crazy. And I look, I do this every October, packing for a trip that's going to go on for Mm -hmm. weeks, and I don't know where (laughs) I'm going. So it's I always refer to it as the packing. Olympics. Do you? What's your proudest packing moment so far as you get ready for this trip? <laughs> well, I, I have an advantage because my boys are going to be down in D.C. because it's my oldest son's uh, bachelor party, so they're going to bring extra clothes if I need to. <laughs> yes, uh, down at down at D.C. Uh, I actually have my I have my CBS I have my CBS blazer also. Um, my CBS blazer also that I have to have in the bag because I have football that I have to work around as well. So. <laughs> my I decided I'm, I'm bringing one dress shirt and one tie and the CBS jacket, and then I'm wearing whatever at the bottom I'm wearing to the baseball field. So My my proudest packing moment was getting a bag packed in time for Sunday's game that I could put on the team chart. That's exactly I, Yes. I don't know what's in it. I'm not sure what I have yeah. in the bag, but there's a bag yeah. waiting for me in Chicago. <laughs> I had to go out and buy another pack of underwear because I was like, man, I don't know how long we're going to be out there. I have no idea what I have there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, layers. Yeah. That's the key to everything, layers. man. Absolutely. Layers. Yeah. So I know you guys will, uh, will get through this, and I, I, I don't know whether I'll see you on the road, whether I'll see you at home, whether I'll see you next year in Clearwater or whatever, but I can tell you, it's been great seeing you in Starkville. Okay, so let's do this well, again sometime. We appreciate you having us. Yeah, we appreciate yeah, you having us. Thanks for the invite. It's yeah. been fun. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network, you're there to look for jobs, you're there to post jobs, and how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. Yes, it's that time again. Time for listener trivia. Our way of involving you, our favorite listeners in this show. And Doug, I believe that we have a two-question winning streak going. Ooh. So let's see if I'm doing the math right. Only 54 more, and we tied DiMaggio's trivia streak. Is that well right? within striking distance. Well, we're there. <laughs> yeah. Now, so join us a year a year from now. <laughs> If we're still challenging DiMaggio, which we will not be. I I think we actually do have a shot at three in a row this week. I do. Um, 
The good news is we have a great question, but I think a an answerable question from a loyal listener named Rob Wedig. Oh. The bad news is Rob's working and couldn't join us live to torment <laughs> us, but our mayor, Tim McMaster, is here, and we'll hear him read the question, and then we'll see if we're man enough <laughs> to answer it. Yeah, guys, Rob was okay. really bummed that he couldn't join the show, but he couldn't come on, but he did give us his blessing to use the question anyway. So here we go. Who are the only five players to win most valuable player awards for two different franchises? All right, so five, five players. players. MVP. Uh, I thought that Glanville had decreed no more <laughs> questions with five answers. So yeah. I think then last week we talked... I, we, we talked our guy Alex down to uh, Adam down to four. So I, I say we should only have to get four out of five because that trick worked so well. Last yeah, maximum, week. maximum um, of four. They can say name ten, and we have to get four. Yeah, I think that's you know, that's all we need to do. <laughs> all right, let, let let's appeal to the mayor of Starkville, to Nick Master. He's a caring, compassionate, <laughs> reasonable mayor. Tim, is it cool with you if we only have to get four out of five? I think we should do what we did last week. Yes, I think you should give me five answers to see if you got all five. Because last week you did get all this five. This is true. Even though we set the rule that you only needed four, you did get all five. So let's you give me five answers. If four of them are right, we'll give it to mm -hmm. you. But I think I think you can get all five. Hmm. Uh, I think hmm. we can too. Yeah. Um, so we need five players, Doug, who won an MVP award for two different franchises. franchises. And I thought I thought hmm. of three right off the okay. top of my head. Frank yep. Robinson definitely did it. Reds mm -hmm. and Orioles. Barry yep. Bonds definitely did it. Pirates okay. and Giants. A-Rod yep. definitely did it. Rangers and Yankees. Like, they did it. They're locks. And then hmm. I thought Reggie Jackson A's and Yankees. Doesn't that feel right? He's on my list. My list is long, however. Okay. <laughs> oh, well, I don't think it's good or bad. I, I, uh, I mean, at first I thought about Kirk Gibson, but I know he didn't win the MVP with the Tigers. I thought about Andre Dawson, mm. Expos and Cubs. I don't think ever Expos. Yeah. Uh, Dave Winfield, I thought of. Don't think so. Pedro should have, never did. Uh Vladdy, didn't you get Vladdy a couple mm. weeks ago? I, I don't know. Uh, Doug, you must have some guys yeah, in mind, Vlad, right? Yeah, I didn't think about that. Vlad. Uh, yeah, I had similar names kicking around, like Winfield and Dawson. I mean, what, McGuire, did he win? He won rookie. He didn't. He, I, he won rookie he of the year. I don't. He never won the MVP, even when he hit oh, seventy. Sammy Sosa. I mean, obviously, Pools is no right because Angels, no Angels. No uh, Angels. No Junior no. was not that great in Cincinnati really no no he had one good year and then he, he, physically he couldn't be the same guy all right. what about like Steve Garvey did he play all was he was he always no. A, a no all right Larry Walker I mean he went to the Padres Larry Walker he, uh, MVP no he won, definitely won in Colorado I don't believe like we're, we're naming way too many yeah, expos <laughs> the list of expos MVPs <laughs> No, that's, it, some, I think it's fictional, <laughs> let alone short. It's like, uh, Wait, that's the best I you mean, got. Come on, I man. have Reggie, uh, Tony Phillips, Re Ricky Henderson. Tony Phillips? <laughs> Tony Phillips ever won an MVP? Yeah, Ricky. Ricky. I, I don't think so. That's a good name. Uh, I just have, I've, I've, there's no pitcher who did it. Let's just think for a second. Has any pitcher ever done that? Like Vita Blue or something? Uh, or? 
remember it's what we went through the pitchers last yeah week. but even yeah. so even thinking like pre free agency or i mean most people stayed in the same organization right i mean and the mvp started in what year 32 33 yeah or something like that. so i'm like i don't yeah, Frank, my, yeah my knowledge 30s. is 40s. MVPs in the 30s, not good. Uh, like Norm Cash. Jimmy Fox. Do, no, Norm <laughs> Cash never won any. But Jimmy Fox. I mean, Musial right? was always a Cardinal, yeah. right? Stan the man. Uh, K-Line was always a Tiger. Yes. Yes. Um, yes. Uh, wait, you got me. I'm trying to think of the yeah, Like, whoever changed teams. I mean, that was just a rare occurrence. Like, that was that good. I mean, in that time period, I mean... I mean, Frank was an early case, right? Uh, Frank going. He was, yeah, he was 60s, 1960s. And that, mm. I, like, I, I think my four are right. You can't get, well, you, I, can't, yeah, I have, you, you can't name one guy. Well, I, well, I have Come Frank. On. I Literally, the top three on my list are Frank, <laughs> Bonds, A-Rod. Then I have Dawson with a okay. question mark. But then I have Reggie, Dave Winfield. Which you know is probably not. So we're not gonna. We're not even gonna get five, are we? I we're mean, so well, if we go, <laughs> Reggie. I mean, Reggie is you know is a good one. Yeah. What are we missing? Yeah, well, we're guessing Reggie. We, you're you're supposed to come up oh, with the fifth, fifth. Yeah. No, it can't be a Philly. We're not missing any Phillies, are we? I mean, Vladimir Guerrero. God. Yeah, we can go Vlad. Vlad's a Eddie good Murray. Guess, Did he? Was he good outside of Baltimore? Like, let's just get it over with, okay? Um, we're gonna have the mayor deliver the big news today since Rob couldn't join us. So, Mayor Tim, is there any chance that it's Frank Robinson, Barry Bonds, A-Rod, Reggie, and Vlad? Or four of the above is what I should be asking. You got three of the above. You, your first three are correct. Mm-hmm. Robinson, Bonds, A-Rod. And then you what? mentioned the oldest one. Which Amazing. was 1932, 33, 38. Jimmy, Jimmy Fox. Fox. You Ooh, said wow. it. Yes. He originally, he think? won the first two. And then in 38, he won it with the Red Sox. Yeah. Doug changed his subject too fast. Yeah, I just asked. But then the, yeah, the other one you missed is, I think, the easiest one. Yeah. Last year. God. And then Doug said Phillies. And we just had the Phillies. <laughs> <broadcast>. <laughs> um, yeah. Bryce. Bryce Harper Bryce. was the fifth one. Yeah. We're, we're pathetic. Oh my God, Ter- Doug! Yeah, I guess terrible. Win. Like I look at the list of MVPs literally times <laughs> a season. You'd think I'd have them yeah, memorized that's by Bryce now. Harper. Very but then they... interesting. Oh yeah, that would have been the easiest one, definitely. <laughs> hey, the, here's the good news: like nobody listens to this part of the, the show, so nobody can hear this. Okay. Well, one way they can hear <laughs> you just delete the whole thing, and then they definitely can't hear it. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's just terrible. Yeah, I didn't even think. Uh, We overthought it, as we always do. Um, Like, I I think we're starting to show signs of life. Yeah, signs of life. But, but, but you know who always shows signs of life? It's the mayor, (laughs) Tim McMaster, because it's time for him to dazzle us with another cool play-by-play clip involving this week's answer. So, Tim, what do you got for us this week? This one was tricky because we used Frank Robinson last week. Ooh. And he was the one guy on this list who actually won MVPs in both leagues. Yes. Yeah. Which is very cool. But we used him last week and it was so hard to find that clip that I knew Frank Robinson was out. Uh A-Rod, <laughs> Bonds, you know, some of those MVPs may have been helped out a little bit. 
Uh, and then Bryce, it was tough to find a big moment. Jimmy Fox, there's no calls from back then. So this was hard. But I ended up going with Bonds. But we're going way back mm. to 1992 mm. in the first half of Barry Bonds' career when he was with the Pittsburgh Pirates. This is actually his first postseason home run. Mm. He came in 1992 off of Tom Glavin, mm. game six of the NLCS. But that might deep to right field, way back and gone. Barry Bonds on a 1-2 pitch, homers to right center, and the Pirates take a 1-0 lead. It's the first ever postseason home run for Barry Bonds. A fastball inside, but not for long. Sean McDonough on the call. Yeah, um, Sean McDonough, Tim McCarver. Yeah, that was a good uh, a good one. But obviously, they won game six. Game seven, a little more famous oh. game, went the other way. Andy Van Slyke is still sitting there. Yeah, in right. field. He hasn't gotten up. They've torn down the stadium. He's still there. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was oh, good yeah. stuff, except for the part that involved <laughs> us uh, trying to answer the question. But Rob, if you're listening, what a great question! Uh, yeah, thanks for coming cool. up with it. And uh, if you're listening out there, and we hope you're not, uh, <laughs> you too can be part of this show, just like Rob. We'll tell you how in just a few minutes when Glenville spells his name. <laughs> Strange but true. Oh, man, Doug, so many choices for this Strange But True segment this week. But the more I thought about them, the more I thought, how can we not go back to Yankee Stadium because of what happened last Tuesday in the bottom of the ninth inning of one of the strangest but truest games of the year? Uh, definitely one of the strangest but true innings of the year. This So this was Pirates-Yankees. Uh, when this inning began, the Pirates... We're leading by four runs, eight to four. Will Crow, the man on the mound, trying to close it out. Leading off the inning, Aaron Judge with 59 home runs. And what happened after that was absolutely crazy. So let's hear how it sounded in real life. Drill deep to left field. There it goes. Number 60. Slide over, babe. You've got some company. Aaron James Judge has tied George Herman Babe Ruth with 60 home runs. That one's drilled to left field. Is it high enough? See ya! A walk-off grand slam, and the Yankees win! Judge hits 60, and the Yankees win in walk-off fashion. But mm. Michael K got into it. Oh, yeah. uh, he had Aaron Judge's 60th home run and Giancarlo Stanton's walk-off slam <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. in the same inning. Whoa. <laughs> like, how about the noise in Yankee Stadium? <laughs> and, uh, you know, remember this now. If Judge hadn't been one homer away from one of baseball's most magical numbers, <laughs> thousands of those people would already been riding on the number four train <laughs> by then. Instead, they stuck around and they got to see a game that they'll remember for the rest of their lives. Whoa. Um, it's not just the 60th homer. It's uh, an ultimate walk-off slam because mm -hmm. uh, the Yankees were three runs behind before Stanton swung the bat, and they're celebrating when he finished swinging the bat. 
Amazing. And so this is where I review just how strange but true this was. I could do an hour on this, but we'll keep it quick. Will Crow gave up all of those, the 60th homer to Judge and the slam to Stanton. And Doug, do you know that before he came along, no pitcher had ever given up anybody's 60th homer and anybody's walk-off slam at any point in their entire career. And then Will Crow did it in the same inning. Okay? So that was pretty freaking strange but true. But that's not all. Uh, In a span of five hitters, the Yankees hit a 60th homer and a walk-off slam. And, Doug, I want you to think about that. Because before that, no team had ever had any player hit a 60th home run and any player hit a game-ending slam in the same season. And the Yankees did both of those there in the same inning in a span of five hitters without <laughs> making an out. So, Doug, I think that qualifies for the strange but true segment. Good choice? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Well, first, you're already in, like, rare air as it is to 60. I mean, not a whole lot of people. So it's already, you know, just in and of itself is rare. And then they just, you know, milestone and then the grand slam. You barely even had a chance to digest Aaron Judge's 60th. It was like, oh, wow. And then you looked up. It's like, wait a minute. This could end badly. And, uh, I mean, Stanton hit an absolute laser. So, uh, yeah, that was fun. And given that Stanton, uh, he had 60, right? One year, what did he hit? 59? 59. He hit 59. He couldn't get there. Couldn't quite get there, yeah. (laughs) Ask him about it sometime. Yeah, man, 60, 59. Magnitude of 60 got to him. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that was just fun. I mean, you know, judge the judge watch is incredible right now. Yeah, uh, we talked about it earlier in the show. And Now, I would ask you if you ever, ever hit a walk-off homer after somebody in your team homered, but I know the answer. I've heard you talk about your one walk-off homer on this show enough to know it would have been impossible because that was April 18th, 2004, off Rocky Biddle. What a name. Yeah, Rocky. And you were leading off the inning. So because I'm the... Uh, the kind and gracious co-host that I aspire to be every week. Mm. I'm going to let you tell the story of your walk-off one more time. Mr. Doug Glanville, the walk-off stage is yours. Oh, well, I thought you were going another direction, so I, I appreciate that. Oh. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I was I like... I go any direction well, you want me to go. I was you know, an old man at that point, 2004. Uh was it, was it extra innings or bottom of the ninth? I wasn't sure because you know there would have been a ghost runner. It's your it it's look it's it's your walk off. You're supposed to remember these. I don't remember any of that. So, uh, but what I do remember it was the first year of Citizens Bank Park, which was a beautiful park, and very excited to had played long enough to see the vet and then go into this new ballpark, and uh, so that was exciting. And uh, you remember I, the year before I wasn't with the Phillies. I was with the Rangers and the Cubs, and I came back. So I was not much of a starting player. I'd come in kind of off the bench. And yeah, I, I get in. And I remember my friend, Seth Bendian, who I uh, grew up with a little bit older. But he was a guy I used to work out with in the offseason. He played baseball kind of between my brother and I. So, you know, shared the passion for the game. So he came down to this game. And uh, and sure enough, I hit this home run. And uh, and actually, the thing that besides like, the, you know, the, the dog pile at the home plate and all that and getting doused with whatever... I just remember getting pied, 
And I, you know, okay, lemon meringue, orange pot, you know, all that, it's cool. But dude, shaving cream is terrible. It's toxic. It's bad. So I, I vote to ban any shaving cream ever again. Because yeah. I remember yeah. my sinuses were gone for like two days. <laughs> so I don't know if it was worth it. But um, but yeah, that was um, that was that was a lot of fun. And look, I, I um, yeah, that was the first walk off ever in the history of Citizens Bank. Obviously, April. And uh, so I'll always have that, you know, asterisk. But I thought you were going to mention my only ever professional Grand Slam, which was off of Jason Christensen, the left-handed pitcher, Pirates, Giants. And I was in Winston-Salem playing in the Carolina League. That's just why I love Bull Durham so much. And uh, he was pitching. I think the team was, he might have been the Pirates, Salem or something. And sure enough, we got bases loaded. We're down by three. He throws a fastball. And I, you know, kind of up in the zone, I hit it to right field. So this, of course, is always another miracle because I don't think I ever hit home <laughs> opposite field. And uh, we had a double wall, right? And it went over the wall. And um, yeah, I had this, you know, what they call the natural grand slam where you, you know, from the movie, right? So hits the grand slam. And I think it went something like 10 to 9 or something like that. So that, and that turned out to be my only professional grand slam. So uh, at least not in spring training, not counting spring training. So <laughs> Yeah, that was really cool. And a guy who only hit like four home runs that year, that was that was a pretty big deal. <laughs> so Yeah, that's funny how that, that that's come up on this show quite a bit. Can't figure out why. Yeah, pretty <laughs> amazing. <laughs> yeah. Like it's not quite as earth shaking as that inning at Yankee Stadium, but no. still still pretty cool to say you hit any walk off homer in the big leagues or any uh down three grand slam anywhere in professional baseball. So I'll take it. Doug Way to go. You're still my hero, man. <laughs> All right. That's going to do it for this week's show. We'll be bringing you podcast magic just like this all season long on the Athletic Baseball Show, which is available in its entirety, absolutely free, everywhere you get your podcasts. By the way, if you'd like to read any of the fabulous writing in The Athletic, just go to theathletic.com slash baseball show and if you're a new subscriber, you can still subscribe for just $1 a month for the next six months. It's true. I said $1. But also remember, you too can be part of this podcast. Every show, we pick a trivia question. And the questioner who submits the question gets to join us right here and proof. Once again, there's almost no baseball trivia question we can't get wrong. <laughs> So if you would like to submit a question, you can email us at starkville at theathletic.com or you can fire the questions at us on Twitter. And this is where the Starkville audience, they just wait for this moment where Doug Glanville gets to spell Doug Glanville. Mm. We're going to let that happen again. Doug, how could somebody fire a question at you on the Twitter? Yeah, once in a while, I kind of wonder if I should just say at my name and just see if Twitter, if to see if it happens. If I reach Spelling that stage, it. it's been, you know, three years. But anyway, I'll spell it anyway. At Doug Glanville. Very boring. D-O-U-G-G-L-A-N-V as in Victor. I-L-L-E. At Doug Glanville. That is pretty boring. Yeah. Now, see, I at least I cut my name off. I am at <laughs> J-A-Y-S-O-N-S-T. Just remember, hashtag the questions, hashtag Starkville QS. Mm. So, Doug, thanks for playing. Thanks to Tom McCarthy and Scott Fransky for visiting us. Thanks to Rob Wedig for the great trivia question. Thanks to the mayor of Starkville, Tim McMaster, for producing us and putting up with us. And thanks to you all for listening. 
Tomorrow it is roundtable day here on the Athletic Baseball Show. And Doug and I will see you next Tuesday on Starkville. Starkville.